So I, I, I kind of want to start by just riffing off the inspiration that, that you gave us, Mark, and, and we were, and Joe really suggested I start talking again tonight from Ephesians three for a few minutes just by way of inspiration because he, he felt that was a good way to start this morning. And so Ephesians three is really important to me because I'm often accused of overemphasizing the love of God. <laughs> I really, I'm, I'm told that frequently. Overemphasizing infinity. Now he's only infinity, Brad. We don't want to be adding one to infinity. <laughs> and and I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and, and here's what I've learned. What, so why are they saying that? Why would a critic say overemphasizing the love of the very nature of an infinitely loving God? It's because they've heard a gospel, and then I come with another gospel. And there's a lot of overlap in these gospels, but mine's bigger. And mine's not bigger because of me. Mine is bigger because it is required in Ephesians chapter 3 in, in the sacred scriptures. And, and it is required by the power of the Holy Spirit who installs that conviction in us when you ask. And you don't get to see how big it is without the Holy Spirit. And I'm not bragging on me, but I can brag on Paul. He prayed that you would have this. Here's how it goes. Yeah, weighty words. I'm going to go with the New American Standard Version, Ephesians 3.14, and this has become my criteria for measuring whether my gospel is big enough. Hint, hint, it's not. Whether my vision of the love of God is big enough, it's not. But Paul is challenging us. He says, I kneel before the Father in heaven. I bow my knees before the Father. Do you know, when I was, the day I was born, my little granny Ditchfield took a long walk to a bus station, got on a bus. And she took a long bus ride across a whole city to a hospital where my mom was in labor. And I went through a long, long labor. And she knelt in the hospital and prayed for my birth. And then she began to do that every day for the rest of her life on her knees before the Father. Oh, that Bradley would know. Into her 90s, and finally she couldn't kneel anymore. <laughs> Eventually, she couldn't remember how he died for me. She thought maybe they shot him in the end. <laughs> but she just loved me, and she loved Jesus. And you know what? She's still praying for me. She's in the cloud of witnesses at the throne. And she goes, oh, my goodness. This is really is a long labor for Brad. I, I can't. Someday I'm going to be born. In the meantime, the labor continues. I kneel before the Father from whose, from from, and from whom His whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. You know, every family in heaven on earth has a father. 
He's not just the father of Christians. Every family in heaven and on earth, he's, he's the father. And he's, he's praying. I'm going over to NIV now. Uh, from him, the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. You, you don't have what it takes to grasp the love of God, but he can give you his divine spirit, install it in her, in you, to strengthen you with power. If the Holy Spirit strengthens you with divine power in your inner being, here's what you're going to find out. Let's check the order. You, you will grasp what you can't grasp. How wide, high, deep, and long is the love of Jesus Christ, is the love of the Father for you. So think about that. We've talked about it before. Mike harps on it. We must harp on it for as long as my granny prayed for it because we don't get it yet. People still think I'm overemphasizing the love of God. It is higher than the heavens are, than the earth. What's that? More, more than 14 billion light years. This is as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy for us. How wide is it? There is no one outside the breadth between those two nails in Jesus' hands. You tell me somebody who's beyond his love. This is what we mean by inclusion. There is no one outside the breadth of the love of God. You are included. Every family in heaven and earth is included to fight, to say that God's are God's arms too short to save Isaiah asked. No, his arms are not too short. How about uh, how deep? How deep is the love of God? What did we sing this morning? The love of God is greater far. It reaches to the lowest hell. He, Christ has, has gone into the abyss of hell itself, to the bottom. He loves us to the bottom. Whatever your hell is, he loves you to the bottom. He's not waiting you for, for you to climb up some ladder, ladder of worthiness. He's, he comes to our abyss, to the darkness. Baxter Kruger is so good on this stuff. He, and he's like, what did we contribute to that? A murder? <laughs> we killed the son of God. He said, that'll do. Right? And, and he, he goes into the abyss of whatever, with the depths of despair, sorrow, wickedness, you name it, whatever the darkness is, the light is shone there to the bottom. And he goes into the bottom of Hades. He finds Adam and Eve right from the beginning and raises up humankind with himself. How long is the love of God? His mercy endures till death do you part. No? No. His mercy endures. Pardon? His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. forever. His loving kindness is everlasting. How long? We're talking endless duration. I'm sorry, did I overemphasize the love of God again? <laughs> Infinity plus one? 
I cannot do it. But what I can do is I, I can pray that the Father would give you power in your spirit to begin to grasp what you, what, what you will never get your head around, what you will never be able to rationalize, what, what you, beyond all that you ask or, or imagine. So then I preach this, this beautiful gospel and go, it sounds too good to be true. It's better than that. Yes. If it sounds good, or if it sounds great, Ephesians 3 requires you to take a break. If, if, it sounds, if, it, if it sounds pretty, or if it sounds gorgeous, you, or Ephesians 3, you must pursue the gorgeous. The beauty of the gospel, it is beyond measure. It's infinite. And so that's where I wanted to start. Because that kind of inclusion, when you are talking about four dimensions of um, width, breadth, depth, and length, space, time, Christ is our cosmic lamb who contains all of it. His cross is the axis around which the whole universe and all of time and everyone who's ever lived or ever will, it all revolves around that one, and then he contains it he holds it in his arms like who's not included in that we were um, thinking about Romans 5 this weekend together in conversations and it's like whatever Adam did to screw up the human race how much more has Christ done to redeem the human race Adam cannot be bigger than Christ in his impact this is the cosmic lamb, the one, the one who's included all. And so um, um, sometimes it, I, could, I, I could do lots of scriptures tonight on that, but um, so can you. And I've just done a very key one, but uh, it also sometimes helps us to hear how radical the very earliest Christians were so that you know I'm not just reading the Bible as a liberal. <laughs> That's a way of dismissing things. Oh, it's liberal. No, I'm deeply conservative in this way. We must conserve how the earliest church who gathered the Bible, we must conserve how they read it and understood it. We can go to Polycarp and say, John the Apostle who wrote this beautiful gospel was your mentor. What did he say? We can go to Irenaeus and say, oh my goodness. Polycarp was your mentor. You could go to Polycarp and say, what did John mean? This matters then. So you don't have to go into all those wells to find the stuff. I did. And I'm going to come out. I'm going to make a little kiosk and just give you some of the treasures of gold that I found down there. You won't believe that. You won't believe how radical the first Christians were about this stuff. It, you might even get offended, but tough. <laughs> You're a liberal guy. All right. Justin Martyr, the first apologist, that means defender of the faith, second century, so we're talking maybe 50 years after John. He says this, Christ is the firstborn of God, his word, in whom all people share, all who have lived in accordance with the word are Christians, even if they're reckoned as atheists. As among the Greeks, Socrates, Heraclitus, and the like, these are like 
pagan philosophers, and he's saying to the degree that they participated in the divine word, they're Christians. What? Even the atheists? Even the atheists. What? That can't be right. Well, then let's ask Irenaeus, also second century, grand disciple John. There's only one and the same God the Father, and his word has been present to humanity from all time. Although by diverse dispositions and manifold operations, he has from the beginning being, being saving those who are saved, that is, those who love God and follow his word, each in his own age. It means from every age, from all of history, people could follow Christ. And they didn't even know his name yet. Amazing. Clement of Alexandria, 200, he was the principal of the largest seminary in the world. All men are Christ's. Some by knowing him, the rest not yet. He is the Savior, not of some only, and the rest not. For how is he Savior and Lord, if not Savior and Lord of all? But he is indeed Savior of those who believe, while of those who do not believe, he's Lord. Until having become able to confess him, they obtain through him the benefit, appropriate and suitable to them. He, by the Father's will, directs the salvation of all. For all things have been ordered, both universally and in part, by the Lord of the universe. These guys are confident in Christ. They're, they're, they're not minimizing Christ. They're glorifying him. The higher, I want you to memorize this if you can. The higher your Christology, what's, what do you think Christology means? Your theology of Christ. The higher your confession of Christ, the wider you see his Abba's love to be. If his Abba's love can only reach the elect, you've got a very small Jesus, whose blood was not sufficient for all, right? So this is what, this is what Clement is saying. And I gave him a chance to talk twice. Here's his other thing. The universe has become ceaseless light. The son of righteousness who traverses the universe, that means crosses the whole thing, the son of righteousness pervades all humanity alike, giving us the alienable inheritance of the father, writing his laws on our hearts. What laws are those that he writes? That all shall know God from small to great. That's his law. It is always the purpose of God to save the human flock. I like that guy. Gregory of Nisa comes along a little later. He's the final editor of the Nicene Creed. Okay. He's called the father of the fathers. He's called the flower of orthodoxy. He's the defender of the faith. And you know what he says? It is evident that God will in truth be all in all. When there shall be no evil in existence, when every created being is at harmony with itself and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, when every creature shall have been made one body. Oh, my goodness. I thought, I'm going to, let's see if I can. This is a more modern guy. I want to tell you about him. He's a pretty good. So Olivier Clement is one of the premier Orthodox theologians or historians in the 20th century. He knew these guys, these early Christians inside and out, and he writes this beautiful book summarizing a lot of what they said. 
here's his assessment after reading all these guys in their own languages. A top expert who wrote the catech, uh, what do you call it? The cata, is the catechisms for the Orthodox Church in Paris. He's a catechism writer in the Orthodox. He's not a liberal. He's gone way down to the roots of the church. You know what he says about them? For the early church, salvation is not at all reserved to the baptized. We repeat, those who receive baptism undertake to work for the salvation of all. The word has never ceased and never will cease to be present to humanity in all cultures, all religions, and all irreligious. The incarnation and the resurrection are not exclusive, but inclusive of the manifold forms of his presence. It is certainly for Christians to make people understand that Christ comes for all. Since he combines the maximum of humanity with the maximum of divinity, but when they fail in this, Christ himself appears to those who are dying. Does the matter stand otherwise today for unbelievers in Denver, in Vancouver, whatever? Christ is close to them, and they're often following him without realizing it. Practicing justice and kindness towards their neighbors, gaining a foretaste of the mystery through love and beauty. Christ reveals himself fully to them at the moment of their death, flooding them with sweetness and splendor. Doubtless, he has to wait about through years of hardening and spiritual insensitivity before he can rediscover the vulnerable and astonished child. So he's saying just before our death or just after our death, Christ presents himself to the astonished and vulnerable child. He says, here I am. If you, being evil, know how to good gifts, give good gifts to your children, how much more your father is in heaven? So what we're saying here is it's so amazing to me is not you water down Jesus so everybody's in. No, it's the fact of Christ himself is what has included all into his salvation plan, and he is directing us toward it. And our job, if you're not, maybe not all of your Christ followers, but as Christ followers, we are here for the life of the world. And we have good news for them. You have been included in the embrace of this all-loving Father. And I can say that to them with confidence. I want to tell you a story that exemplifies this. I have a friend, a woman from Northern Ireland. And she loves Jesus, and she loves helping people to meet Jesus and to hear Jesus, but she works in social services where she is not allowed to use his name. And if you those of you who were here last time, we found out you could have an interaction with the light or the word before you know the name, because Christ is the light. Christ is the word. And someone who may not even know that the light and the word's name is Jesus they can already be engaging him, hearing him, and being transformed by him. And then at some point, a witness like me will come along and say, Ah, you know the light, don't you? Yes. You hear the voice, don't you? Yes. And then I go, Behold the Lamb. This one who you know in you, talking to you, changing you, he came to earth. Can I tell you about that? And then I connect the light and the word to the Lamb. 
All right, so this, this woman's working in social services. She's like a really good friend, and I'm having a brain freeze of her name right now. <laughs> and she's not allowed to use the name at her work. That's not a problem. So you're like, oh, that's a problem. We're going to stand up for our rights. Get prayer back in the school. Let's start by getting light back in the school. In you and your kids. All right. So, so she's like, gets to work, and she can hear someone wailing in the lower, in the basement. And she's like, who's that? And they say, that's Stanley. Oh, Stanley's one of their clients. And Stanley has been really, really sad because he's been saying things over and over about his identity. He thought his identity was, I'm a black sheep and a lone wolf. He kept saying that over and over. I'm a black sheep and I'm a lone wolf. I don't belong. And, and he became so depressed. And they, there's nothing they could, he's such a sweet guy. They just could, they couldn't break through. And he went and he cut his own throat. And somehow he was unsuccessful. And they got him to a hospital. And they saved, his, they saved the life he didn't want. Now he's recovered enough and he's back at, he's come back as a client. He's showed up and there's Stanley. And he's like, oh, Stanley. And they can hear him wailing, right? And he said, would you just go sit with him? So my friend went down and sat with him for 45 minutes as he sobbed and wailed and just couldn't get control of himself. And finally, all of that had come out of him. And now he could breathe a little bit, and she could talk to me. She said, Stanley, what happened to you? He said, I'm a black sheep, and I'm a lone wolf, and there's no place for me in the school. And she said, Stanley. And she's praying now, what do I do, Lord? And she comes up with an idea. She's like, Stanley, can you see this there's so much darkness here can you see any light in the darkness and stanley looks around no uh oh she says look inside your heart there's a lot of darkness there wants to kill you but can you see the light there and he says no now she's like oh no what do i do i tried brad's thing i've tried baxter's thing it didn't work now i'm down to holy spirit and then the holy spirit moves in her heart and she says, Stanley, look in my eyes. <laughs> do you see the light in my eyes? And Stanley, I do. <laughs> and she said, what is the light in my eyes saying to you? And he goes, that I'm kind and good. And I'm worthy of love and belonging. <gasps> <laughs> that's the light from her eyes speaking to the place in the darkness and, and he's like and he, and he just can't believe it and, and she's like Stanley I want you to write that down so he takes a penny and paper and he writes down lone wolf black sheep she goes Stanley that's, that's not the voice of the light that's the voice of the darkness that wanted to kill you would it be okay if we burnt the paper with those words on it? Like, yes. <laughs> so she takes a lighter and they light and, and they just watch Lone Wolf and Black Sheep as that old, toxic, deadly identity go up in flames and ashes. And then she gives them another paper. Stanley, can you write down 
what the light sent you. I'm kind and good, and I'm worthy of love and belonging. And he writes it down. She says, how does that feel? I feel much better. She said, okay, well, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Comes back tomorrow. <laughs> Stanley, hi, who are you? I'm a lone, I'm a lone wolf in black. She said, Stanley, that's, that's not what the light in my eyes said to you. What did the light say? I'm kind and good, and I'm worthy of love and belonging. She said, remember that. Okay, and for a few days, they went through that. And then suddenly, as he's abiding in the word of the light, John 1, the word, this is the word speaking. This is the light shining. The light overcomes the darkness, and he begins to transform. And this adorable guy with some learning disabilities begins to believe in his new identity. I, I am good. I am kind. I'm worthy of love and belonging. And he applies, and he gets a job at a flour mill. Oh. And he comes back later, and he's so happy. He says to my friend, I got a job at a flour mill. And did you know what? When the other employees there saw my name on the schedule, they gave me a fist bump. She goes, how does that feel? She said, it fe he said, it feels like I'm a member of the world. Mm. <laughs> I'm, and she said, and, and, and what's that feel like inside? I'm worthy of love and belonging. He said, and you know what else? One of the other guys at work said to me, I want to spend time with you, not on work hours, <laughs> but outside of work hours, personal time. She said, oh, that's wonderful. You've always wanted. Yeah, I have a friend. And then, and then he said, and you know what my new friend said? He wants to get a bike, and we'll go for a bike ride together. And then now my friend's just like weeping. We're going to put his testimony. There's a link of a three-minute testimony by him on the website. And the adorability factor will just about do you in. And, um, and he's given me permission to share this story. In fact, the thing on the, on the video is so funny. It's, I said, could could we tell your story in my coming book in that's out next week? And he said, could we? I want people to know my story. And so when we do the interview with him, we're trying to get him to say how it feels on the inside to have love and belonging. But he's kind of obsessed. He goes, I'm going to be in a published book. And everyone will know my story. Yeah, but how does it feel? I, very, I feel very proud to be in a published book. So I know, but compare before to now. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Before it felt horrible. But now I feel love and belonging. When I listen to it, it sounds like he says love and baloney. He's <laughs> got a bit of a speech thing. And I'm just like, do you know what? He doesn't even know it's Jesus yet. But he knows the light. He's seen it. He knows the voice. He hears it. And it's already completely upturned his life. He's a member of the world. And at some point, it will come that there will be a time when someone is a maybe maybe this person outside of behold the lamb. But do you think that God was willing to wait till then to start working in his life? This was our theme last time, but I just think that's so amazing. One of the elements I want to share about that that's so important. I've met these new friends um, named Jamie and Donna Winship, and they are fantastic friends of Paul Young. 
I think we got to get them here. Yeah. And they run a ministry called Identity Exchange. And here's the basic thing that they they do is they, they say so many people are not living in fullness of life because they are living from a false identity rooted in fear. And they can meet anyone. They will meet a Muslim. They will meet a white supremacist. They will meet uh, the gangsters and the the bloods and the crypt. What do you call them? The crypts? Like, you name it. They go to all the... They just... The Lord takes them to all the darkest places. He he was working for the CIA in the Middle East. And he's like meeting people from the Taliban. And, and he's like, what are, you, what are you afraid of? And, they, and anybody who is willing to go there and tell the truth is a truth tell. This is confession. The moment they begin truth telling about their, the fear under their anger, the fear under their violence, the fear under their bigotry. There's all, it's always fear at the bottom. Yeah. The moment they're willing to be honest about that, I mean, they go, ah, oh, we've got a man of peace, <laughs> a confessor, a confessor. And they begin doing that. And so they will begin to, to, they will say, all right, now, where did this fear start? Now they're working for like the mega tech companies at the CEO levels going into, into there. And then they'll say, where did this come from? And boom. I was five years old when this happened. Now we're into healing of memories. Yes. And then, again, they can't always use the name of Jesus in these contexts. But they can say, you know, we heard that you could, let's do a listening exercise. And they're totally using the can you hear me stuff and hearing God's voice. But they're doing it incognito. So they've got them saying, here is my fear that it's creating a false identity that is reducing my creativity and shrinking my life. And I know where it came from. Yes, I'm willing to do a listening exercise. And they say, now, whatever you think, your higher power, your light, your God, universe, whatever the thing is that you think is ultimate, I'm going to ask that a question. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to ask the question. And so they get the person to ask this question. I'm serious. We're talking, we're talking neo-Nazis and Taliban. We're talking movie executives that are putting out like $200 million. You know, like we're talking that stuff. And they're saying, ask, ask God, ask universe, ask light. What do you call me? And they hear him, Christ, the light of the world call them by their true identity. I already had a chance to practice this tonight with somebody. Do you, I forgot your name. Cheyenne. Cheyenne. I already know she's a princess. And I asked her, do you hear Jesus? And she said, yes. And I asked her, what does he call you? And she does this. Leader. Yes. At the, the depths of her identity, her trait, what if she starts living that, uh, that true identity of They asked my middle son, who's into fashion and all of that, we're doing the Matthew 6 stuff, and I'm like, oh God, is this it? Is this, he's going to just be caught up in the fashion world? He loves fashion, but like, really? We asked him, what, what does he call you? Holy investigator. Wow. What? And he realizes, 
oh, I get it. Like, I don't. <laughs> and he said, my dream job would be to be an image consultant. But every image consultant in the world helps somebody create a false identity. What if I was an image consultant that helped people find their true identity and they lived out of that image? I'm like, who are you, kid? <laughs> and so it's, it's as simple as listening. I want to pause right now, both for the people here and the people on, on screen. Um, we're going to do the short version of this. And you don't have to go all through your deepest fears. You don't have to go through back to the first terrible, painful memory where you got that. But I think what we can do this is what you're able to do is just as best you can move into your intuitive self, your listening self, the self that's directed towards the light that Stanley's on. And I'm going to, we're just going to all ask them, what do you call me? What do you call me? So let's try that. So, um, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, or Abba Father, Universe, Light, Cosmic Lamb, Higher Power, what do you call me? And now just listen and see what's the very first words that begin to come to mind. What do you call me? Now let's pause. Now, so some of you maybe you didn't hear, and sometimes it's here to it's hard to hear through our old false identity. It's hard to hear. But but if, if you're able to go into that space, did anybody hear what he calls you? Yes, sir. Bearer of light. Bearer of light. Most loving child. Most loving child. Sunshine. Sunshine. My beloved. My beloved. Anybody else? My fully and completely beloved What if you lived from that space all the time? In your in your relationships, in your work, where you just assume I gotta make a decision about this contract. How what decision would I make? As a fully, completely beloved son, I have to, I need a creative idea that's going to break through for my, I wonder, I wonder what I would get if I knew I'm a fully, completely beloved son. Hmm. I, I think what we're going to see is new ideas, co-creators, um, expansive, expansive in our in our relationships, expansive in our industries, expansive in you name it. I just believe that living from your true identity it frees you. What if what if this was your goal? I think Jamie and Donna Winship, and you want to look them up, identityexchange.com. Their their thing is this: our goal is to have you live fearlessly. From your true identity. Now that sounds like what I hear at this group. This seems like what you do. I've seen the fruit of it here. So I'm not, I'm not telling you new stuff. I'm just introducing you to some new friends. But I do want to give an example of that. 
Um, Jamie and Donna spent 25 years in the Middle East in war-torn countries, in countries of extreme risk, um, working with people that we've been taught to hate. Where did we hear that today? I don't need no preacher to teach me who to hate. I need, or tell me who to hate. Was that, I don't need no preacher to tell me who to hate. What they went and they said, we're going to go into the dark places with the light and we're going to call up people in their true identity and we're going to do it to shut down terrorist groups nonviolently by meeting them, calling them out of their fear into their true identity and watching them change the world right. And you know what? They practiced for 25 years and they got it. Now, in the midst of that, here's one thing they discovered that I want to share tonight. It's, a bit, it's, it's fresh to me. They talked about this. We have all been born into different identities or developed different identities. It could be American, Canadian. Maybe we identify as Republican or Democrat. Maybe we identify as gay or straight. Maybe we identify as Christian or Muslim. And here's the weird thing. We make teams. And we want people to join our team to be able to get into the kingdom of God. You don't get into the kingdom of God by joining my team. You get into the kingdom of God by following Jesus Christ on his straight path there. So the, the Judaizers came to the Galatians and they said, oh, you can't get into the kingdom of God unless you become a Jew. And Paul said, no, you can go straight from Gentile into the kingdom of God by following the Jesus way directly. Some of our churches have said, you don't get into the kingdom of God unless you leave the gay team and come to the straight team. That's how you get. No, you can go directly into the kingdom of God by following Jesus. He says, uh, what, what is the gospel Jesus preached? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, think, com completely change how you think about this. Believe in me and now take up, follow me. I'm the way into the kingdom. Islam is not the way into the kingdom. Christianity is not the way into the kingdom. Jesus is the only way into the kingdom, and you can follow him directly. So they started thinking, they're, with Muslims especially, they're not like Christians in the sense, oh, we chose to be Christian. You don't choose to be Muslim. You're born Muslim. You don't choose to be Jewish. You're born Jewish. So it's a bit different. How do you say to a Muslim person, you can't be you anymore. You have to be me or you can't get in. That's not, that's not what Jesus said. And we even have it in the New Testament how the Jews had tried to pull this on the Gentiles. So what, what does Jesus say? Take up your cross. You follow me. So I think I'm, I better read this part directly so that I don't mess up the details because it's such a powerful, important story. This is Donna talking. Oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. She said, Jamie and I were living in the Middle East and we had a good friend there who we had met in another country. I'll call her Fatima. Her country was very war-torn. We knew her family and her father asked us 
if we could watch over her where we lived so she could live in safety. As a single woman, it wasn't appropriate for her to live without the protection of a family. So to be able to protect her was a very great honor for us. She lived together with some of the other single girls on our team, and we were training them uh, who we were training and who were in our care. We were training them how to learn what the Quran has to say about Jesus. What the Quran has to be saved. through a study we had developed called the seven signs. The course goes through seven prophets of the Old Testament from Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, Jonah, and so on up to Jesus. Seven prophets from the Old Testament that Muslims and Christians have in common, leading to Jesus as the ultimate sign of God, an ultimate sacrifice, so that they could understand what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. We'd explain the kingdom circles. I just described that. You don't have to go around these other one team to the other. Team. You can go directly into the kingdom of God by following Jesus. We explained the kingdom circles to her. Now, she was somewhat interested in learning about the kingdom of God and how both Muslims and Christians can follow the straight path into the kingdom and live as brothers and sisters. We asked if she'd be interested in doing a holy book study, our seven signs course. She agreed partly because she was curious, but also out of respect because I was an older woman, because of her good friend was also inviting her. She wanted to show honor to her friend and me. So we started the study, and in the beginning, she was a bit bored and was going through the motions. We went through the first prophets, Adam, Abraham, Moses. But when we got to the sign of David, in the Quran, the sign of David is the Psalms, exemplified through King David. And I asked her, is it okay if I read a song to you? I asked because her culture and tradition says the Bible is corrupt. The Quran doesn't actually say that, but her culture and her tradition do. So Muslims typically don't want to have anything to do with the Bible. When I asked her if I could read a song to her, she agreed. So I chose Psalm 139. Here's how it starts. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For as there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And you've hedged me behind and before and you laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. As I'm reading this, Fatima's tears come up. And she gets very emotional. And she said, I had no idea that the Bible sounds so much like the Quran." I thought it was a corrupt book full of pornography and murder. That's what she'd been told. Sometimes. <laughs> Read it. I had no idea. It was so poetic and sounds like the Quran. That night she asked her friend if she could borrow her Bible. She wanted to be able to read the Bible for herself. Study went on three or four more weeks till we got to the final lesson on Jesus. Our little team is praying about how to introduce Fatima to Jesus. We had another woman with us who's already a Muslim follower of Christ, and she was super excited because she was good friends with Fatima. It occurred to us as we studied the sign of Jesus, we could talk about the Samaritan woman. We felt that our friend Fatima was, in her true identity, a leader. 
a leader in her city. We want her to see how the Samaritan woman in her true and Jesus-redeemed identity became a leader of men, a leader in her city. Beforehand, we have sensed that this, by the Spirit that we should have some glasses of water around for everybody. Fatima didn't know what they were for. We went through the story, and at the end of the story, we said, let's listen to Allah. That's the Arabic name for God, word for God. Let's listen to what Allah wants us to know about this, because Fatima was still struggling to understand the importance of Jesus. But she loved the Samaritan woman part. We closed her eyes and prayed, Allah, what do you want Fatima to know about Jesus? She got emotional and opened her eyes and said, I see a man, and he's standing with a book. And I'm standing with my friend, the young gal on the team, before him. I, and so Donna says, who's the man? And she says, well, of course it's Muhammad. Peace be upon him. I ask, what's the book? And she says, well, it's the Quran, of course. It was a little flabbergast, and everyone on the team started looking at each other, thinking, hmm, this isn't going how we thought it would go. <laughs> then suddenly this flash of inspiration came. Don't ask her who the person is or what the book is. Have Fatima ask me who the person is and what the book is. So they did. We prayed a lot. What do you want Fatima to know about this person, this book? She listened for a moment and started weeping. And the, um, she said, Allah says it's Jesus. And the book he's holding is the book of life. And Jesus wrote our names in the book of, his, of life with his finger in blood. Then she saw the glasses of water and said, I want this living water. <laughs> then even our Muslim friend, who's a follower of Jesus already, said, did you hear that? Our Muslim friend, who's a follower of Jesus, said, I already believe all of this, and I want to drink the water again, too. And so with that drink of water, she took her first communion experience. Mm then Jamie, the husband, says this. Fatima went home and told her father, we have this rule that whatever a young Muslim learns from us, they need to tell their parents immediately. So there's no secrecy or subversiveness because Satan loves rumor. So she went and called her dad and told him what happened. And she said he wanted to meet me after that. Uh-oh. When I went and met him, he said, I'm so grateful because my daughter has never been spiritual before and I've always wanted her to be. By the way, I have another daughter who needs a place to <laughs> What confidence they have that when you call on the Lord, guess who answers? There's only one actual God out there, you know? <clears throat> and when that God appeared, he only has one image, you know, and it's Jesus. And Jesus called that girl, and they, and, and they walked right she walked into the kingdom of heaven. What do we make of all that? Well, I, I'm still learning. I'm still working it out. But here's what I know is people are meeting the Lord Jesus Christ before they even know it's him because he's so big that he's, we say the technical, he circumscribes. I mean, he contains the whole, the whole universe. He has revealed the love of Abba to be higher, wider, longer, and deeper than we could ever ask or imagine. We're going to just close this part with, here's what, I don't know lots, right? I pretend I know lot. I don't know, but I'm convinced. I'm, I'm utterly convinced of this. 
that I need to remember where the books of Bible are. No, I'm utterly convinced. That nothing can separate us from the love of God and Christ. Who? Christians? Us. People. There is nothing that can separate humanity from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because all of us are in Jesus' heart aches for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Period. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Is it time for a break? Yep. All right, let's have a break.